All right, welcome back to Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We are in partnership with Black and Gold Hockey Productions. You're here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing this morning? Doing great today, Andrew. We have a special guest. I think I'm going to do the introduction and we'll get right into it. So we have a special guest here today, and this is Bob Westerdale. He's a freelance reporter. He's uh, actually a news reporter, but uh, also part of his freelance covers um, some of the sports for the star yep. in Sheffield. And Bob, we welcome you, sir. We can't thank you enough uh, for joining us yeah, today. Yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Jim, you, you, don't, you could be his brother. I, uh, yeah. I, either you're, you're young or your son's very old. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bob, I like you already. You're my yeah. favorite guest. So, Bob, <laughs> so, Bob we're uh, going to talk Sheffield Steeler hockey and Sheffield in general. And um, off air, we told you we're, we, we're getting quite the UK hockey listener base, but particularly also in Sheffield. And a lot of our American um, listeners are also starting to get involved and they wanted us to try to get a little bit more details on some of these teams. And because you actually cited our podcast a few times in your news reporting about some of the players for Sheffield Steelers, we thought it would be great to have you on and, and ask you some questions. And you graciously came on board to do that. So tell us a little bit about Sheffield, pre-hockey Sheffield, and how everything got started there and with hockey. Yeah, okay. Well, you, you term it blue collar. And Sheffield is definitely, and certainly was back in the early 90s, a very industrial city in the north of England, uh, in a county known for steel and for coal uh, and for tradition. Uh, and in sport terms, that's essentially football. Obviously, you'd have uh, cricket and uh, boxing and stuff like that. But nobody, there was ice hockey, uh, but nothing quite was to, was eventually to, to come. Traditions die hard, actually, in this. So that's what makes this story so fascinating, because in 1991, there was something called the World Student Games. Now, if, not many people remember that, um, but without that, we wouldn't have had the facilities that threw up in Sheffield, paid for by uh, partly by the public purse. Um, but... The arena was one of those. Um, there's a big swimming pool. Um, there was a big uh, stadium, which unfortunately got knocked down. But the arena suddenly arrived. And once the games were over, after three or four weeks, whatever it was, hockey arrived. Now, it arrived with some Canadians that had been playing elsewhere, a few of the locals, a few of the Brits. Um, and it started from nothing. And I remember taking one of my daughters, who was about nine, ten at the time. Uh, she, she was sort of up for going to the arena because she hadn't seen inside the arena. Once in there, it was some, like something she'd never seen before. And I'm not quite sure if there's anything like I'd ever witnessed before. I'd seen some hockey before, but never seen anything quite like the excitement that was being generated in such a lovely venue. So at the very start of this, there was a willingness, particularly from the family uh, perspective, to turn up and get involved. Seats were very cheap in those days. They had a marvellous way of trying to get people in. As a journalist, I remember saying very early on to the editor of The Star, we're not doing this well. 
And the reason we're not is because, you know, we're not treating this as one of the regular uh, traditional sports. And the concern was it would be here today, gone tomorrow. So let's not be careful, you know, be careful we don't throw too many resources at something that might not be here. But here we are, 31 years later, the odd handful of people uh, who were there then still survive, both on the fan base in the back room and me. Um, so it was, you know, fast, violent, great off-ice music. Uh, the arena, to some respects, hasn't changed a great deal and is still pretty much the star of the show. People like going there. Um, it's cheaper than football. It's not as cheap as it used to be but it's cheaper than football. And um, I'm waffling on here, chaps. Get, get, help me out. <laughs> yeah. What we have, Sheffield Arena has been described to us by uh, players from other teams as being a very rough arena to play, which is great. It reminds us of uh, the old Boston Bruins days when we had a small arena in Boston, the Boston Garden. And, uh, the opposing players didn't like playing in that arena because the fans would get on them. The uh, home team loved it. Um, it sounds like that's sort of the typical atmosphere in Sheffield. Would you agree? No, not really. No? Um, there is passion for sure. Um, people live their lives around that fixture list. And in no way am I um, decrying that. But I don't think it's, um, did he call it a tough place to, it's tough in, in the sense that you've got 8,000 people all bellowing for the home team. And it's tough in a, normally year on year. Uh, this year's no, uh, no different. These are good players that they have in Sheffield. They don't always get it right. They won nothing last year. Will they win something this year? Well, time will tell. But I don't think, when I look at, think of some of the uh, arenas I've been over the last 30 years, for instance, Durham Wasps, uh, they lived in this, operated <laughs> out this tiny little rink, and the, the fans were almost on the ice with them, and the, no <laughs> and the noise and the aggression. I loved it as a football person. I absolutely adored it, and I don't think you get that. You get people getting very excitable. You get people very critical of the way players. But it's not like um, you know the fans are are unpleasant to support support from the opposing team. Um, I don't think it's a tough place to play. I think it would be an honour to play at that institution. So, so I'm kind of curious um, where, when the team first came, came into play and everything, Bob, do you remember maybe, maybe it was the first inaugural season, maybe it was five years in, maybe when, when they had a championship run, when did it seem like Sheffield really started to support the team and really get into ice hockey? I know that football is one of the main sports over there and everything, but uh, when did it really start? You start, started to see the passion you went, I think that this team's going to be successful. Um, I think it's funny, you know, because if Steelers had lost every game for the first two seasons, yes, of course, you'd have lost some players. But the presentation was so skillfully done and it was so new to everybody that I'm fairly sure people would have kept going. And if they'd have scored a couple of goals and got up and the kids had done their dances and all that, they'd want to come back again for more. So 
I think it, they got it absolutely right in the early stages and built on it. Now, that's not to say there have not been highs and lows um, during the last 31st years. There's been incredible moments, particularly in the ownership. You know, one of the owners went to prison uh, for falsifying uh, accounts. Um, he's now a, now a clergyman, by the way. God bless him. <laughs> Um, the one that followed him uh, was a deeply um, uh, unpopular individual, and he didn't last very long. And the one that followed him, I'd rather not even talk about. Um, but so there's been all sorts of ups and downs, but the consistent, that the continuity of all of this has been about growing the fan base and keeping those that started to come all those years ago who bring their families along because I brought my daughters, I've got three daughters, all of whom grew up in that environment. Uh, and now you're seeing granddaughters and grandsons at, at, at these events. And also, uh, funnily enough, you sometimes very rare occasions, you see that represented in the players, Ron Shudra, former NHL player. He was one of the first to come over to Sheffield extraordinarily loved extraordinarily loved by uh, the hockey fans and he's by far the best in 30 years of selling this club without hardly having to do anything he was a smashing guy still is to this day uh, stayed married an English girl fantastically good looking English girl I must say uh, and uh, has a couple of sons daughter all lovely family and Cole plays for Steelers, Cole, the son, the eldest son, plays for Steelers, and Tate, the other one, will probably play for them as well at some point. And I love seeing that. And there is a feeling that uh, Sheffield is a bit stroppy sometimes, a bit sort of, um, oh, look, it's us, you know, we're Sheffield Steelers. And that does grind. It grinds with Nottingham Panthers because they were here a lot longer than Sheffield's been around, and they knew what it was like without having these pesky, noisy neighbours from up the M1. Um, but I think the, I think the EIHL uh, depends on clubs like Sheffield, Nottingham and Belfast, the big teams, as every bit as much as, you know, the other six or seven teams in the division. So I want to be kind of careful how I ask this question, but... Um, you know, we're always curious the opinions of uh, having the import players on the teams and, and whatever questions we ask related to that. But Bob, my question for you is, what 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 is the the fan base reaction? Maybe even from the start when we started to have imports and stuff. Is it? It seems like normally fans are are very very supportive of all of them too. But we also know um, that a lot of uh, fellow Brits also want to make the team, and it might make it a bit difficult to make it because of a lot of the imports. So what, what is kind of the atmosphere with the import players and when it, you know, did that start from the beginning as well? Was it, was it not, when did that come into play and how did fans react to players coming from across the pond? That's a fantastic question because right from the start, when it was, the, the imports were mainly Canadians, there was an instant bond. And I don't believe it's anything to do with the Commonwealth. It was probably to do with the great accent and the fact they've got all their own hair and all their own teeth or some of their own teeth. <laughs> Um, and they were told and joyfully took part in this association, this community that was building out of this brand new rink. So they were absolutely seminal in the way that, that club took off. Um, 
Current day, well, that's interesting because it's not just Canadians, obviously, it's Czechs. We had a Russian uh, a year or so ago, um, and, and Swedes and people from across all of Europe and lots of Americans and all the rest of it. What, what I like to do, and it's very easy to get this wrong, is assess the uh, connection between the uh, fans and individual players when they come on the ice, because they're also, you know, number 11, blah, blah, blah. So he comes on and everybody cheers and, and all the rest of it. And I always try to detect who gets the most cheers. Now, I'll probably uh, get this wrong, but my view is that the one who gets the most cheers now is Robert Dowd, who's a magnificent servant for the club and British. So that helps because everybody wants the Brits to do well. Everybody wants homegrown players to do well. But the converse side of that is, if now we were playing with uh, 14 Brits and six imports, we wouldn't probably, in all fairness, in all honesty, expect to win that many matches. Now, that's only because of the fact that we've not been able to integrate British players fast enough and well enough over the years. But in answer to your question, like, was it last year or the year before? I was listening again to the, how, how um, individual players were welcomed onto the ice. I reckon number two behind Dowd was Anthony DeLuca. I was going to ask about DeLuca too. Yeah. Who, who you've had, I think, have you had on the show? Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and they just loved him because he was a ball of activity, aggressive. You could see on his face everything he was thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Enormously explosive. Made some mistakes, wasn't brilliant defensively, but improved that side of his game, I think. And then there was this, there's been so many great news stories, great in a sense of significant news stories. And then when he failed that drug test, yep. uh, he went. And I wondered how that, would affect the fan base and the club. It's hard to detect that because he's gone now. He might come back one day. We'll see. But if he's smoking cannabis in Canada, where it's legal, who cares? On the other hand, this is very much a family-orientated club. Do you want a player even mildly associated with something he did harmlessly, perhaps you could say, in the summer on your on your roster when you're trying to get. So I'd love to know what it would be like if he came back. And I'm fairly sure it would be rapturous, absolutely rapturous that he comes back, you know, if he, if he comes back. Um, but I, I love to see that interaction within you know, the human side of it is much more interesting to me than, you know, whether we played a really good game in the defensive zone tonight. I do want to talk a little bit about, um, British players, because we've noticed across the pond, and if we notice it in the world of hockey being, you know, neighbors with Canada, it's really newsworthy. The national team um, has been making huge strides over the last five years. Uh, it seems, and we've spoken to a few, Kino being one, the yeah. assistant coach uh, over there. Uh, it seems that a lot of UK players are becoming stronger, better, even some of them coming over to North America to either play or to do some hockey schooling in their younger years and then come back. UK players are really starting to uh, become equals in many ways 
uh, the production of scoring and, and assists with the imports. And do you see from your point of view that the British players are becoming stronger rather than just, oh, we got to have so many, you know, local players on our roster, but we're really filling it with imports. It doesn't seem to be the case, just like with Peacock right. and, and Kennedy yeah. we've had on. They're all very, very good goal scorers. What do you think about the, the state of hockey from the UK players and the development? I think if you're playing against a top class or with a top class import, uh, that's going to improve your game. Uh, would I like to see more Brits in the team, in all the NHL teams? Absolutely. Will we ever get there? There's a commercial thin line that we hinted at earlier in, in, in the conversation on that. All I do know is that the likes of David Phillips, Jonathan Phillips and Robert Dowd uh, and Sam Jones, I might have missed somebody out there, they're all Brits. When they play for Great Britain, their jerseys swell with pride. And I'm fairly sure that the um, dual nationals, one of, of a better phrase, you're Brendan Connors, you're Evan Moses, I think they will feel exactly the same. Just because they weren't born in Stockport, they might have been born in Stockholm or they might have been born in Boston or wherever, doesn't stop them really wanting to put themselves on the line for Great Britain. Um, and I think it's fantastic. And I won't be soured by the argument that... Uh, you know, there's, there's too many imports in this country, there's too few Brits in the national team. It should be just people born in this country. I, I just like seeing this exponential growth of talent. And you're absolutely right. There's loads of kids going to North America. There's loads of kids, kids going to academies in Europe. It is a shame to see them, but if the facilities are better there, that's the way life is now. The Premier League, my, my football team, Manchester United, probably most of them are foreign mercenaries. We've got two or three players in that that were born in Manchester and the crowd absolutely adore them and want them to do the best. But we go back to, you know, if we win the league, if Manchester United win the league in the next thousand years, it won't necessarily be because they've got Mancunian players in it. They've got players who are the best at their jobs. Do you think covering ice hockey that imports versus homegrown, and when I mean imports, I just don't mean North America, I mean Sweden, Czech, all over. Do you think that there's some, some clashes of egos and even playing styles? Um, we've talked to some players more off air rather than on air, and there seems to be in the locker room some uh, North American players, for instance, who have played in the NHL, who have mostly played in the AHL, come in thinking that they're going to be played down a league and sort of be like, well, look at me. I played in the NHL. So therefore, you know, you don't know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing. And as sort of the coach has to really straighten everybody out to figure a team strategy. But some of the players that we've talked to off air kind of did say, yeah, there's a little bit of that. And sometimes you got to give it to the other player saying, well, you're here now. Who cares if you played for the Boston Bruins or whoever? I hope um, generally that that's not the case. What I would say is I don't think it's who you are. I don't think it's who you played for. I think it's the type of person you are when you turn up in August to join your new team. 
So uh, I can think of one particular uh, import who came in and thought he was the bee's knees. And he entered a brilliant career in North America, but he just thought that, you know, he would be able to transform the club instantly. Now, that wasn't because he was an import. That was because he was a pillock. And I just think, again, I, I try not to nationalise this. I think it's all about individuals. You know, we've had people... For instance, Paul Cruz, enormous amount of uh, NHL games. And if you asked any Steelers play, uh, fans who would be your favourite top 20 of Steeler players in the last 30 years, I very much doubt he'd be in it. I'm not saying he was a bad player. He wasn't. Did he have a brilliant time at Sheffield? Well, he was made captain, I think. Uh, but was he... Was he outstanding? Did he did he lift everybody off the seats? Probably not. Others who have come in, um, who haven't had anything like that pedigree, have set the building alight. I think it's what's in there. I'm pointing to my own heart here for podcast listeners. I think that's what it's all about. What you've got, in, you know, in your heart. And if you don't want to play for Sheffield or anybody else, because you know, they had a great NHL career, a great, you know, career in the AHL. Go somewhere else, mate, because there's plenty of you about. And so talking about the uh, the, the club's history and we're talking about uh, the personality of players, I noticed one of the first uh, players that we had on the show that uh, had a, a great career and a great time in the EIHL specifically, Sheffield, if I remember correctly, was turbo tim cranston and we quickly mm. realized how beloved he was at the time and so uh, my question is uh bob over the years that you know you've been following the team and covering them who have been some of the more beloved uh players or characters that may be longtime fans or even newer fans that are starting to get invested in the team may not know about or forget that they you know they played a huge part in the team personality wise too yeah well <laughs> it's great that you mentioned cranny there because um, he was in the Shudra era, and yes. uh, that's going back such a long time now. But, you know, I can't remember what I had for breakfast, but I can remember him being on a line with Les Millie and Tommy Plummer, and they called it the Munchkin line because they're all about four foot two. <laughs> uh, but it mattered to them. Every shift mattered to them. Two Canadians and a Scotsman, and they just tore into a tee, into a team, and if they weren't um, if they weren't scoring goals, they were causing mischief. So pick players like that, um, a gold gold dust. Um, you know which ones would I choose now? Well, of the current crop, I mentioned I mentioned Dowdy and John Phillips is the uh, Great Britain captain. There's all sorts of others. What what I wouldn't do now is what I was, what I was going to say is. I wouldn't make a judgment now because we're only four games in, three league games and a Challenge Cup game. We're only a few games in. But I do like Brendan Connolly because if my house gets burgled tonight, I would, I'd like Brendan Connolly to be here because <laughs> he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's got this voracious appetite. So I think modern day-wise, he's a great... Uh, person to, to watch out for. In terms of character, um, ooh, there's so many to go out to, but um, let me have a think. Martin Littell, 
He's yeah. a Czech guy, first season last year. And this this is a as a side thing. This is why I love to see the community embrace players. His wife is Ukrainian. His wife was devastated by our, what, what Russia has done. So the fans got behind them and raised thousands of pounds to support the movement of Ukrainian nationals into Latal's home Czech nation and set them up, set them up in uh, accommodation uh, and all the rest of it. And they did that for a number of reasons. They'd have done it for anybody, Steelers fans, because if you wear orange, they will support you. Um, but they also did it, uh, I like to think, because he's a very funny and engaging individual. Does a great Borat impression. I'm fairly sure he's a bit nuts. Um, but that's what sport needs. Sport needs characters like Latal on and off the ice, Connolly on the ice, and going back to your Plomers, your Millies, your Cransons, your Shudras, your Andre Mallows. I love it. You know, it's all about people. Oh, absolutely. And and Conley, I think he's the quickest one that I've I've seen that will stick up for another mate on the team without yeah. question. And that's just, I'm sure, endears him to the rest of the club and the fans. Well, and one of my questions to you, Bob, is going to be, uh, you know, here in North America, obviously, we, we like our, our violence, especially on ice. So a lot of the fan favorites are some of the tougher guys. I mean, I know now we're in a new era of hockey, so it's different. But what about the guys like uh, the Brandon McNallys, the psychopaths on skates that just terrorize everybody? Are they fan favorites over there? Because I know boxing's huge over in in the the British and UK area. What 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 do, do they take a, a well liking to those type of players? He, he decimated everybody in preseason, didn't he? Yeah, the Challenge Cup stuff, and he was pretty wild. Yeah, normally the nicest guys too, right? I mean, even from your perspective. I would just like to make it plain to the paying public that I did not call Randall McNally a psychopath. <laughs> that was done I'll by do the host of the show. On. I, can, I can say that. I'm all, all the way over here. Yeah, but he's from Saugus, <laughs> Massachusetts, Andrew, so you may run into him Yeah, that's, that's true. Crazy Boston boy. I think he was, um, in some, some senses, a surprising signing, uh, and we'll soon see, won't we, uh, what, what it, how it turns out. I think... Correct me if I'm wrong here, but in, in some of the leagues in, in North America, and I think over here, yes, there's still fighting. Yes, there's still aggression. Uh, but I'm not sure it's quite as nuts as it used to be. It's, 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 a, it's, we, it's called the jungle, the ECHL in, in North America. But they instituted a rule about three or four years oh, ago yeah. that if you get into three fights... Ten. Oh, 10 fights? 10 fights. 10 fights, then you have to sit a game. And then after that, it's five games subsequent. Right. And then five games, if you fight for five games, then you sit again. So they're trying to, uh, you know, control some of the fighting. But it's still rough because, as you can imagine, a lot of the players at that league, they're big boys. They're 6'2", 6'4", 6'5", 220 and above. And the only way that they're going to make it is through their – they're fighting and they're violence, really. Yeah. So it's still part of the game, but the league is trying to contain it more. I think that's the situation over here. I mean, I, I like seeing it. I like seeing fights. Um, 
Would I expect to see one necessarily every match? Probably not. But I also like fast, free-flowing hockey. And, uh, you know, this is Liam Kirk. I don't think we've mentioned him. He, he, he came through the foundry of Sheffield um, hockey and hopefully now will go on to great things. You know, what, you know I love to see fast hard skating, committed players like Liam. And I'd just love it if he got his break in Arizona. It would just be fantastic. Do I, you know, I would very much like to see the fighting continue, but right about now, it seems to be about okay, you know, the level of it. I don't like seeing you know low hits and I don't like seeing people getting boarded. Dropping the gloves is much preferable to watch, really. Yeah, and in America... The, the code, which um, I, I don't know if you know about the code in fighting, there, there are rules and, you know, part of those rules are, uh, you know, really not picking upon a player that is not an enforcer. That's a big thing. And uh, someone like Conley, who if he feels somebody's taking a cheap shot at one of his players, he'll step in. And it's more of like just that role of, hey, if you're going to do that, then you go with me. And the enforcers go at it rather than this senseless beating. And we don't see much of that anymore. Uh, it's only because the bigger players don't get any reputation, a good reputation for beating up players that are normally don't fight, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a fine line, that, because um, if you're six foot five and you breathe fire through your nose, that's not going to stop Brendan Connolly coming after you if you've done something. And going back to Cranston, and probably the best example of before, this is 15,000 years ago, we're playing, a, I think it was Cardiff and Mike Ware. Do you remember Mike Ware, W-A-R-E? He, he was a, an absolute giant of a man, a totally unpleasant guy to play against. Uh, and Cranston was down here, he said, pointing to where his chin is, and the other guy is like two foot above him. Uh, and Cranston decided he'd go for him. And it was the most mismatched, mismatched fight you could possibly ever have. But Cranny grabbed him, stayed on him like some sort of rabid koala bear or something, just wrapped <laughs> himself around him. Um, and again, lovely to watch. A moment I can remember 28 years later. So... Don't take it out of the game all altogether because it's all these different facets, the you know, the Liam Kirks and the Mike Wares and all the rest of it that make it worth going to. That and the overall experience that we started this off with. And it would be remiss of me, and we mentioned this off air, but Steelers do big occasions really well. So when the Queen died uh, and they did the um, uh, presentation on the big screen, not a dry high, not a dry eye in the house. Ditto when uh, they did a representation of those fans who died from COVID. Unbelievable. Marek Tronsinski, Czech defenseman. Um, horrible way to have to go to a match in a sense, but amazing tribute to him. Natal's Ukrainian wife we've already spoken about. Mm. You know, this is that beating heart of the club. And they make loads of mistakes. We all do. I make tens of mistakes every every hour. But 
I just love the fact that this is a community as well as a club. And not every team can say that, can they? No, no, no they can't. And Bob, as we're mentioning the different player names and everything, one of the players that I feel like, you know, we have to mention because he was the sole reason really why we started to get involvement with Sheffield and with the UK is Justin Hodgman, Hodgie. Right. And so, uh, you know, we could tell that although he was only there for last season, he he played a huge part and fans really endeared him uh, quite well from the very beginning. What were your experiences speaking with Haji and maybe what you saw from fan experiences? I know he's only there for a year, but it seems like certain imports with those big, bright, positive uh, personalities really rub off well onto the fans. Um, Justin... Uh, as a player, was one of those guys whose head was on a swivel and he could find find a player with a puck where he hadn't even seen the player before he made the play. Um, did he? Did we see the best of him? Possibly not. Did we over here value him as an individual? Absolutely we did. I felt a bit sorry for him and I was the one who wrote the story about his mental health issues, published completely at his behest, uh, he wanted to make uh, a number of observations uh, about those struggling with mental health issues. And I thought that was incredibly brave. I'm so pleased he's back in North America, seeing his, you know, his offspring. And I wish him all the very best. And he come, always came across really well. He engaged with the crowd, he engaged with journalists off the ice, and probably the public on the street, for all I know. But um, it's that kind of individual that clubs need. Um, and I'm sorry we won't have him for a year. So let's talk a little bit about some, some players. And again, you've mentioned, and it's true, there's only been a handful of games so far. Um, but this, this, the stats are, are, are fairly well, uh, you know. 12 goals, four, only gave up five goals. They're two and one. But one of the new players, Scott Allen, has got four points already. If you've seen him, do you like his style of play? And possibly could he continue on that role, do you think? In the preseason, I thought to myself, you know, this guy is supposed to be a really important player and probably more me than him. I, I didn't quite see it. Ooh, but when the serious start stuff starts, uh, he's a go-to player. He's on the ice for lots of different uh, uh, moments in the game, uh, critical moments in the game, I should say. Um, I think he's got an eye for goal. I think he's a team player. Um, off the ice, I think he, I think he's a fairly quiet bloke, but then he sort of pulled out a guitar at the fans' <laughs> uh, forum and started playing with a band, which took everybody by surprise. Was he any um, good? Was he any good? Um, well, I, I sadly wasn't there on that, but I'm, I'm told he was very good, yeah. But I think he's, <laughs> I think he's going to be great. And they picked him to be an assistant alternate captain uh, at home. And, you know, Foxy's been around, the coach has been around for a while. And it's very unusual if he would have picked somebody... Uh, who's going to have a significant role if he didn't believe in him. And uh, and that's good. So I know that we're kind of bouncing around topics right now, but one of the things I wanted to ask before I forgot was, uh, and I forgot what it was called, 
What did you think about the thing that they implemented similar to the Carolina Hurricanes in the NHL? The Eddie. The Eddie, where they dance oh, and stuff. You know, we talked brilliant. a lot about it too, but uh, what, what was your opinion on that? I feel like that that kind of helps bring out the personality of the players to the fans. I absolutely love it. I, I think it all started as a way of taking the mickey out of a player called Cullen Eddie, who was nice, nice, sweet little defenseman, um, tough guy. And he played really well, got one of the match, and said, oh, you've got to skate around and made a fool of yourself at the end of the game, which, of course, hadn't happened before. So they all laughed their heads off as he made a fool of himself. But the fans absolutely adored it. And also, it adds value to the whole experience because there's a feel-good factor. They don't do it if they lose. There's a feel-good factor. You've just beaten whoever it is, and then... Man of the match, fist of the match, you know, all, all the rest of it. And then he has to, whoever it is, go around and do something. And when Marco Valoran was there, he seemed to be the plotter in chief. Him and Dowdy, um, Robert Dowdy, would uh, organise some almost bizarre on-ice spectacular. So far, um, I'm not sure it's been communicated completely to the new boys, what um, what what's expected of them but you know if the fans have paid you your, your few quid to get in they've seen the game they've worn they've enjoyed it and then at the end of it all they know there's some weird little exercise going to go on what's not to love about that yeah well in talking to some of the players they get very intimidated they're just like i don't know what to do you know it's it's my turn or whatever i earned the right to do my my celebration and some of them are like what happens if I fall? What happens if I, you know, make an ass out of myself here? Yeah. The, really, idea, the, idea is, the idea is to make an ass out of yourself. Right. That's uh, the whole point. Um, uh, I think well, the only problem they have is they, they need to spread the message a bit more. So they come up post Valorand because he was great at this. Yeah. Um, they need to have a, a better um, execution, but God, if that's all we've got to complain about, it's no big deal. So we talk about imports. We talk about uh, local British UK players uh, trying to break into the league. Are are there and have there been any local Sheffield legends, Sheffield bred that maybe went on to play with the team or that maybe went on to play AHL, NHL minutes? Any local Sheffield legends that grew up there? Well, we mentioned Liam Kirk before. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? Although he would probably tear my arm off because he comes from Maltby, which is in Rotherham, which is the town next door. Nice. Um, but um, anybody who comes through the system, um, you know, Sheffield takes to, to their own. And, yeah, yeah, I would like to see more doing that. And, you know, like you said earlier, they are going abroad to perhaps... Uh, improve their talents but um so be it and so do you think that that farm team i i off the top of my head sheffield bulldogs steel dogs i take it that that's kind of their minor pro affiliate for the younger players i take it that that's a good stepping stone for these players getting introduced because you know we even talked about some of them um as a new addition to the team or that were coming up in one of our episodes so what's kind of your opinion of that if there's a dark side to this, it's been that the relationship between Steelers and Steel Dogs hasn't been tight enough. Um, and really quite recently, in the last few years, you know, I'd like to have seen more um, come through. 
and some have gone elsewhere. Um, Alex Graham is a player who, uh, when he's not playing for Sheffield, plays for them. Great things are expected of Alex because he's got a really good shot and I think he's going to be a super player. Whether he'll do, do quite as well as Liam Kirk's going to do, hopefully, I'm not sure. But, you know, it's difficult to get Brits into the team in the current system, 14 imports, six Brits. So um, good luck with that, really. But I would like to see two Sheffield clubs hand in hand, working together. Ian McNally, by the way, before he came over, he told me he'd like to get involved with them. So um, now it's on this podcast, he's going to have to. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. exactly. So a couple of new players uh, I want to talk about. Fox went ahead and got two imports for goaltenders, which is a bit odd, um, I think, for the EIHL. And of course, we know that um, Oscar Oslin has, has been injured, but he's coming back. But uh, a guy that I like because we saw him play here in the East Coast League, uh, Matt Greenfield. He's two and one, but he's, I mean, his stats for the first three games are outstanding. 1.69 goals against. How is he looking to you? Because stats are one thing. Seeing him play, it seems like he stepped up because I thought he would have taken the backup role right off the start, and he might have, but he's sort of stealing the show right now. Well, one thing Aaron Fox didn't do was pigeonhole Greenfield as his number two. This was a question I asked him the other day, actually. Uh, he he likes competitive goaltending. He likes the fact that his two imports who will battle it out. And uh, last year, he didn't really have that. Barry Brust's injury situation and uh, other matters uh, stopped him from being perhaps the goalie he would have liked to have been and we would have liked to have seen. Um, I think given that experience, uh, he didn't want to make any uh, possible errors. Yes, we've got two young British goal goalies coming through. Uh, very much like to see them uh, make the grade at some point, but I can understand. And this is a bone of contention as well because, you know, Aaron said, so we were talking about the injury to Oslin, and I said to him, bloody hell, you know, you had enough injuries last year, now you've lost uh, Mason Mitchell before he even gets here, and you've lost your goalie for four to six weeks, and he said, oh, it's ridiculous. And that was his context. He was talking about this ridiculous injury jinx, to what to use a word. And I got slaughtered on that on social media because they thought, hang on a minute, You've got two British goalies there. Now, it's up to the coach to decide what he thinks he needs to make it work and to bring that title back for the first time since 2016. That's what he thinks it'll work. Two import goaltenders fighting for the spot. And the injury to Osland probably shows he did the right thing because... You know, Greenfield has been outstanding and he isn't a number two now, is he? He's a number one. It's down to our Swedish friend to get back in. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and we've seen him here in America. We were very impressed with him. And I think that that was uh, uh, quite a steal for Fox. And I don't know too much about Oscar being from Sweden, but he seems to be a, 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 a decent goalie as well. 
What about Champini? Social media kind of had him coming from Austria as he's going to replace uh, um, Valorant for Sheffield. It's too early to tell, but is it too much pressure for him? <laughs> I, I, inadvertently, I think I've added to that pressure because I wrote the story which said uh, Valorant leaves, Champini comes in. Champini will be the guy we all look to to replace the goals that Valorand takes with him. So I wrote that and then I interviewed him a week ago and I said to him, you know, do you feel any pressure about that? And he looked at me and he said, oh, didn't know anything about that. He didn't know anything about the fact that he would be looked at as the absolute standard bearer of Sheffield's defence and the new Marco Valorand. And maybe I got this wrong, maybe it isn't, but I don't think so. I think they want him to be the, the lethal scorer. Um, but it doesn't, I don't think it helps athletes, does it, to start, you know, comparing them with people that came before. And I sort of half regret that really, but not that much. Yeah. Yeah, but fans enjoy that. Like, you know, with our podcast, Andrew loves to play general manager armchair you know uh talking about possible trades and this this and that where i'm not really that interested but i think there's a lot of fans who love the comparison and sort of love that 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 not fantasy talk but i think you know what i what i mean um so the fans may really enjoy that and you know damn well you know damn well bob he he read your article (laughs) yeah I was just going to say, we, we have a fantasy channel over here, but I don't think it's quite the same thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the team looks a little bit more balanced on paper. Uh, there's a lot of mixture of vets with new players. And when we compared that to when we did a breakdown of Belfast, Belfast has a completely different approach. Everybody's 28 years old in Belfast, not too many vets. And they're all around 5'9", five, 5'10", five, right. a lot of speed. Um, do you feel, given that Sheffield had that injury bug that really, I think, destroyed much of their season last year towards the end, do you feel that Fox has kind of put into place more depth this year? Or is it more of same type of strategy with players than it was last year? We just hope there's not injuries. Well, obviously, he feels like he's upgraded, but he has lost players that he wanted to keep, like Tanner Eberle and, and Valoran that we mentioned before. Um, and only now will he probably be feeling whether those are upgrades that he's brought in and that they will last the course. It was horrible last year to see Dane Todd and um, uh, Brendan Conley getting injured, two absolutely central players. But of course, social media being what it is, I got slaughtered for that too, because every team had injuries and what am I complaining about? Belfast, I have to say, is a wonderful franchise. I love the idea of it. Uh, They were great champions last year. Do not rule them out this year. Um, And if you're asking me what I think will happen, a clue. I have not a clue because it's early days. You know that Belfast will be good. You know Cardiff will be good. Sheffield are always sniffing around. Nottingham, bad start. Who'd bet against them coming up on the rails? Glasgow, Clan, 
Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Thereafter, Guildford, perhaps. I'm not. I'm not sure where it, where it goes south of uh, south of that in the sort of second half of the league. But there again, I'm sure that they would be the first to say their budgets aren't um, quite as good as uh, Sheffield, Belfast, Nottingham. So, from Sheffield's perspective, I think I'm encouraged from what I've seen. I like some of the new players. They've moved the lines around a bit. The goal tending would be great when you've got two fit guys. Who knows what Mason Mitchell is going to be like because nobody's seen him over here. So it's impossible to give an intelligent assessment of who's going to win what given the stage we're at. So I know this is kind of off topic. One of my questions I want to ask before we finish up here. Is there a uh, general consensus of an NHL team? Maybe people cheer on in that area or just in the general and British UK hockey. Is the NHL really big around there? Because I know a lot of those people have to watch the games at between 2 and 6 a.m. We see that all the time when people talk about, I sit until 4 a.m. watching a 7 p.m. Eastern Standard game. So what's the kind of consensus with NHL teams and personalities over there? I'm not sure that... Um... There's a huge following, but the, you can access it on, on TV here. So, you know, if it didn't sustain big enough figures, they wouldn't continue to show it over here. Um, you know, do British play, uh, fans follow one particular team? No, I don't know. Possibly um, Toronto, Maple Leafs. I mean, I, I flew over to watch them once and uh, then went north to watch, and play, uh, to watch Montreal. And over the two, I preferred the Montreal aspects. Uh, I just I found it just more intense, more lively. Um, I was closer to the action there, which might have uh, been part of it. But I, I don't I don't think there's any core British um, movement behind one individual team. If you had to pick the greatest rival. For example, in NHL, you could make a Boston-Montreal, since you mentioned Montreal. For Sheffield, what's been put on your historian hat for a moment? What do you feel has been the greatest? Who is the greatest rival with Sheffield? We've not been able to narrow it down by trying to follow it online. The greatest rivalry. Yeah, the greatest rivalry, not just last few years. I would be clinically insane if I didn't say Nottingham Panthers. Okay. And, that, yeah. and that's... And that's born of uh, historical um, rivalry between communities. Don't think I want to say a great deal more than that. Um, going back to sort of social issues. Um, when Sheffield arrived uh, on the scene, yes, it was aggressive, abrupt, in your face, um, we're better than you, even though we've only been around here five minutes. And Nottingham playing out of a small rink, uh, which was fun. I used to love going to that, that rink. Fantastic atmosphere. They didn't like this whole arena thing that was suddenly arriving. They didn't like the fact they had to go 40 miles north to Sheffield, where there was historic um, difficulties. <clears throat> um, and that, to a degree, continues to this day. And of course, it's the easiest one to get to. Manchester's probably about the same distance to get to, but um, it's not quite the same level of, uh, of frenzy, so to speak. 
and you know you go back to some cracking uh, moments in that sort of pairing between Panthers and Steelers not least of all the one everybody mentions which is the bench clearance where Dennis Fial and Scott Ellison went berserk and uh, it was just <laughs> a moment in history and you know Kenny Priestley I wrote a book on Ken Priestley you might recognize his name from um, he was an it was a Stanley Cup winner uh, with Buffalo, I think it was, um, scoring four, four or five goals from the top of my head at, to, to go on to win some championship. Astonishing times. I don't think it's anything quite as um, belligerent and opposition, rivalry rather, uh, as it used to be. But it came to come to the playoffs, which mean the world to you, didn't quite mean the same to us. But on the night, if you were having a playoff final between Nottingham and Sheffield, you'd be able to cut that atmosphere with a knife. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Bob, we've been um, um, very supportive and, and love your reporting, which is part of the reason why we asked you to come on our show. You're not just, and I just have to brag on you for a quick moment before we say goodbye, you're not an opinion guy, meaning you're not slicing people off at their knees or just uh, uh, spouting things that you believe. You actually talk to the players, you talk to the coaches, and of course, you're a very experienced news journalist in general, not just on the sporting scene. But <clears throat> we really appreciate the fact that you dig down deep when you interview these players. And even if you're gonna be a little bit rough, you're not afraid to ask the tough questions and uh, it's sort of a thing that's missing over here in North America, I believe, yeah. where it's all opinion and it's all talk rather than go to the players, go to the coaches and ask the tough questions. Is that just a Bob Westerdale thing or is that a UK journalism thing? Because we don't really have that in America. It's pretty toxic in America, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I'd love to say I was unique, but I'm sure there's uh, plenty better than I am at, at doing that. I, I fell out with a Steelers player briefly uh, in, in this season um, because he, he, he felt I'd written something uh, which was disparaging and wrong. And I really didn't like the idea that I had done that. So we had a conversation, a very adult and pleasant, if slightly heated at one point, conversation. Um, and I hope we parted well at the end of it. it. In the end, it didn't come down to anything I'd written in the paper um, or online. It came down to something I'd written on Twitter, which was sort of an introduction. You know how you put like, ooh, look, look what's here in today's paper, blah, blah, blah. Then you put the URL and everybody can read it. And so it, it surprised me that uh, of all the things I've done, and, you know, I was part parcel of Darren Brown getting kicked out of the club going back 20-odd years, um, that a little tweet could cause a problem. And looking back, you know, I wish I hadn't done it now because it wasn't worth falling out with this player. Um, did, it, did I learn something from it? Yeah, I'm not too old that I can't learn from stuff. 
Um, and I take my hat off to anybody who wades through the social media jungle and doesn't get their hands burnt every so often. I don't like seeing, that's one of the things that over the years has changed, isn't it? Where you know, the printed media monopolized everything. Now it's not the same. Everybody thinks they're a publisher. Everybody's spouting off on, on uh, social media and that's fine. But there's so much bullying and unpleasantness. Bullying from people who would never say it to your face. Absolutely never say it to your face. Loads of people over the years have said stuff about me. Well, you know where I am. You know where I sit the me at the arena. Come and see me sometime. Never once. So does that help? <laughs> yeah. no, it does. It does. And yeah. what's the balance of, of a today's journals, like you said, where... There's so much social media and there's so much. And I guess you can include Andrew and I with our podcast of we're not professionals. We're uh, fans that we, you know, we, we, we don't play professionally um, that we can spout things and, and maybe even, you know, throw the, 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 the crap around, so to speak. But what's the balance, Bob, with a professional journalist of having to maintain a healthy relationship with the club? or a player or coach, but also being able to say, I also need to ask the tough questions and you need to be responsible for how the team is doing or your own career is going. What's the balance so that, like you said, you don't piss them off so that every time you say, Jim, can I ask you a question? No, not you, piss off. I don't know where to start with that. There's so much ground to cover. What I would say about your um, uh, podcast is this, you ask questions of your guests and the guests reply. And, you know, they are then judged on their reply. To a degree, you are judged on your questions, but I haven't heard anything that you've said today, which is, you know, uh, anything other than what people should ask because they're interesting topics. Um, so I, I think you're okay. When it comes to asking difficult questions, um, that's my job. And it does cause a little bit of antipathy sometimes. What, what I've noticed is because people like their stuff on YouTube, um, I do most of my interviews um, with a little phone stuck in front of me and I'll do a few clips of two minutes each on certain topics. Now that's good and it's bad. It's good because uh, it keeps me honest if I wasn't to begin with because Everybody can hear my questions. Everybody can hear their answers. Um, but what it doesn't do is, you know, when I was a crime reporter growing up in Manchester, um, I would be able to cozy up to a copper or a criminal or whatever it was and ask them directly questions, which they would answer to me. But it didn't come from me, mate. And that's what they would say. So I'd know what the situation is and I'd keep it to myself. Now, off the record continues in a flourishing way today. But when, you're got, when you've got that phone up and you're doing that YouTube video and you don't want to monopolise the entire game, particularly after a match, um, you, you've, got, you've got to leave it at that, really. And, and sometimes I think to myself, I'd much prefer to have a long sit down where there's no phone ca capturing the, the video. And I, I know I would get a better story um, and a more all round picture of what's going on. Right. So to finish 
um, it'll be a non-sports question because um, I'm interested in this question. So you're, you're still a freelance journalist, but up to this point in time, if you had one or two stories that you're most proud of, of whatever it's story that you covered, what would it be? Um, it would be news rather than sport. Um, sport is the um, garden centre of journalism. It, you go and you pitch in and you enjoy yourself and you meet some of your heroes. I've met all of my heroes. I've met George Best, Dennis Law, Bobby Charlton, Eric Cantona. I, I'm happy that I've met all my people that I need to. And it's wonderful to talk to uh, hockey players from different parts of the world Talk to Latal about his Ukrainian uh, family, uh, in-law family coming over. I, I enjoy that, but I think if I had to pick anything, I once wrote a book called Killing Time, which was all about a former policeman who went to prison for a crime he didn't commit. He went to prison and uh, later on, I discovered that police were reinvestigating it, knocked on his door uh, in the middle of the night this is going back 30 years, not on his door and said, uh, my name is Bob Westerdale, I work for the Lancashire Evening Post. I'm here to talk to you about the crime you didn't commit. I thought, this is going to go two ways. One, he might have done it and stick a knife in me. Or <laughs> two, because he'd come out of prison by then. Or two, uh, I'll get the interview of a lifetime. And he looked at me and he said, I've been waiting for you to come come on in. I thought, what, what does that mean? And it turns out he was a born-again Christian. He believed in uh, that one day the sins of, of, uh, of the police in, in this set of circumstances uh, would, re, you know, would come out and he'd be redeemed and, and move on. And, you know, that guy, because he was such a huge story, got to know him really well. It was actually, became a godfather of one of my girls. Uh, and I was proud to be part of... Um, that journey that he went on from Wakefield Prison as a former police officer, went through the prison aspect, found guilty of manslaughter of a guy that somebody else killed and that somebody else went on to face court in the end. Um, so that was good. IRA stuff back in the day, that was pretty amazing. Wow. Anything that happened, you know, of that, you know, explosions, deaths, been with the, the army in Northern Ireland, watched the way they operate. Um, I, I've been, it's been fascinating. It's been a fascinating journey, but I don't decry the Steelers part of it. As ridiculous as this sounds, this has been an antidote to some fairly black moments, um, uh, but some great moments as well. And, you know, <coughs> we're not even mentioned Dave Sims here. He's been at this since, you know, really Victorian era. Uh, and he, He's given so much and we fall out sometimes. And he really gets on my threatening bits. But at the end of the day, few people are giving more to a club than him. He's got health issues at the moment, but he'll still be there. It, it, it's, it's weird. Sometimes I don't agree with things he does, but that goes both ways, I guess. Right, right. Well, Bob, we can't thank you enough for joining us. We'd love to have you back on just uh, to do a, you know, a smaller snippets of how you think Sheffield is doing. It's tough for us because we can only watch highlights. We don't get to watch games. Um, but it seems like, like we've said before, the EIHL in general has become a much, much better league every year for whatever reasons. 
And um, it's worth covering and it's worth covering these players, especially from our end across the pond. So we'd love to have you on again and give us a little bit of uh, information or news or something uh, that, that might be newsworthy for uh, our listeners. That would be fantastic. Although next time it will be 25,000 pounds sterling, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pass that on to our, uh, our parent company, but don't hold your breath, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's lovely, lovely to talk to you guys. Yeah, well, thank we'll, you we'll time, say Bob. goodbye off air if you just hang on, but officially we, uh, we thank you. But before you, you go, yes. Uh, next time, uh, you can also raise a glass of wine, as I am doing now, to Her Majesty the Queen. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Well, we'll raise our coffee today, but yes, absolutely. And, and, uh, and I guess it's God Save the King now, eh? Yeah. Um, We'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, be glad you're not uh, covering the, uh, what's your uh, newspaper over there? The Sun that l likes to get into the tabloid, right? Is it The Sun? It, it is The Sun, but I mean, any newspaper that's disparaging of the royal family at this time is cutting their own throats. That's not oh. to say at some point, you know, they might go after Prince Andrew again, and that's a fair game. Um, but, um, you know, these days, if you get something wrong, that's very expensive and you're ready to pays with his job. So we'll see. Yeah, we will see. Yeah. Hang on, Bob. We'll say goodbye right up there. OK, so Bob Westerdale, great guy. And knowing that he is a, a, a reporter, that, uh, you know, he might have his detractors, but... Uh, what a knowledgeable guy. And of course, we got to know him off air as well. And, uh, you know, if you don't like what he has to say, well, oh, well, you don't have to read it or that's part of the news game, I guess. But certainly was a great guy. And I'm glad we had him on our show. Well, normally, too, I don't think any type of sports or news reporters are, are beloved in any way. There's always going to be haters. But I thought it was interesting. I don't know if we even mentioned this in the beginning, but it was cool to kind of interview somebody it's the first time we had a team reporter or a beat type writer to come on the show and talk about the team but to talk about the personalities rather than stats the technical stuff and I think that this is some of the stuff a lot of people are interested in too is getting to know the players now they are involved well they're listening to our podcast just for that reason right and uh, again the one thing that I'm attracted to by Bob's writing is he he does get it's a lot of interviews not just uh, opinion or commentary right and uh Anyway, for the listeners that, that might not know, it's Bob Westerdale. He is a free re freelance reporter, and he does a lot of news, like general news. Right. But he also does cover the, uh, the Sheffield Steelers for the Star, right. which is a Sheffield paper. And uh, check him out because he does a great job. And with that, I think we're going to end it because we're running a little, a little over this morning, Andrew. Yep. And don't forget, we do have a couple of episodes coming up. We are recording and releasing this today this is friday yes. whatever this is the 21st but we do have uh dave capuano bonus episode right. coming up former, covering the bruins our, our buddy former nhl of vancouver canuck we have a penguins hyun uh, j hl matayo turco what is it he's an assistant gm for a q one of the Q teams and yeah. it has been for a couple teams for years and we will be having our 100th episode two episodes special which we'll talk about more in the future episodes, but we're, we're hitting some milestones and we're going to be celebrating. It'll be cool. It is. It's going to be great. And we also have Kyle Rhodes, that uh, ECHL player. Oh, you don't know. No. Um, um, 
I'm going to book him out. He agreed to come on the pod. Is that from Chris Ordubadi? That, so that, shout out to our friend. That is from Chris, okay. a good referral. Thank you, Chris. And, uh, but uh, Rhodes played for Tulsa, more cool. importantly. And we remember I him. I remember Rhodes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he's a great player. So we're going to have him on. I just need to uh, book that. So we've got a lot of guests coming up, a lot of fun things. And you know who we got to talk to again is we got to have on um, NHL legend uh, Gary's got to come back. Yeah. Well, and two, you guys will be pretty excited. We won't announce it yet because I know this has been a long interview, but we are we are we, we are revisiting and we wanted to get a former guest that we've already had on the show to come back on for our 100th episode special. It'd be kind of a two part episode. Right. We won't announce who it is yet, but we've had a lot of people excited to hear who would be who would return for the big celebration. So this is episode 97. Yes. So we're getting close to 100. Yep. We won't make uh, this longer than what it is. But to our UK listeners, which I'm assuming is going to be the bulk, especially yep. Sheffield, we want to thank you guys for supporting our podcasts and for the positive uh, comments and feedback we receive from you guys. We're really into the EIHL. It's a wonderful league and it's uh, certainly getting better and better. So we want to say hello to our UK listeners and particularly Sheffield. And someday we got to go over and go to a game. We're going to have to. Yeah, we'll have to do like something with the media with Bob or something. It'd be pretty cool. It'd be it pretty cool be to do a little. And, and, you know, like Bob said, off air, we'll call ourselves out. We will we'll eventually get on YouTube. I think by the time the 100th episode special, we'll we'll be taking the podcast in a more professional and serious direction at some point. More soon. modern way. More modern because we're. We work hard at what we do, but, you know, we're pretty simple in the way we do things, kind of the Lindroth boy way. So we'll, we'll, we'll expand a bit, get on YouTube and uh, be more involved with things, too. We're very busy, people, which means we'll have to comb our hair if we're going to do the whole. Video. That's true. And we'll have to kind of warn guests, too, because some of them that come on are like, by the way, is this video? Is this audio? And we say it's just audio. Like, oh, thank God. Yeah, you know, we we'll keep back. But that's OK. I digress. We thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Episode 97 to the uh, conclusion. Yes. We'll check you guys next time. Next right. episode should be out in a few days Sunday with our Monday. with our um, Dave Capiano analysis yeah, of friend. the Bruins, because the great thing in North America is hockey's coming back and it's about to start. So we've only got our rookie camps right now, but all the vets are starting to come back. They're going to have training camps. It's going to be great. Yep. Awesome stuff. Well, we appreciate everybody tuning in today. Thank you.